Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. If you know Pete and Sarah, you know that they're incredible people and I'm going through just a really, really difficult time with cancer, but I just love, there's so much about Pete's story that I want to just draw your attention to before we move on from it. Um, I, I want to keep doing that for, for us as a church, just keep sharing stories of what people in the rows next to you are dealing with. Like those are real people, real stories that, I mean, you can find Pete and share out in the lobby. Like this ain't, those aren't, those aren't random um, strangers. Those are people that uh, are family here. And uh, I, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel the, um, the community that they are experiencing and receiving by being a part of this church. And so if you, if you give financially here, I want you to feel that story. You should feel that deep in your bones. That like what you're giving to create here is making a difference in people's lives. So that, 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 that's number one. But number two, I want you to understand when I see that story, what Pete said, like when he said, man, when, can, when, when, when my cancer's at its worst, the vision of Jesus and his love for me is, is blurry. It's hard to see. But when someone shows up in my life and, and loves me, it's like Jesus is right in front of me. He's on full display. That, that's a beautiful thing. But you understand, that is not just Pete's experience. There are thousands of people in this city who the vision of Jesus and his love for them is very blurry. And until a Christian shows up in their life and loves them like Jesus, he, the, 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 the picture of Jesus won't be clear. And so when I hear that, I just think, man, we need to be inviting, and you're gonna hear me say this a lot in these next few weeks. We need to be inviting people to church now more than ever. I believe with every fiber of my being that the most loving thing you can do is invite someone to church. There are so many people who need community, so many people who need a friend, so many people who need pulled out of the pit they're in. And I'm telling you, we should be pushing the gas harder than ever. Um, I, had, I had someone like three weeks ago or so. I've been out for a couple weeks, all right? I was out past two Sundays. Um, so all my stories are from three weeks ago and before, but past two Sundays, I, I was gone. My wife and I were celebrating our 15 year anniversary on a cruise. That's right, I appreciate that. We were on a cruise with no kids, which means it was fun. Y'all know what I mean. Um, but like three weeks ago, I had somebody that was like, man, Petey, it's amazing, our church is growing. Our church is growing. And, and you can see it, like you look across the room, like man, people are here, like even on a snowy day like this, where I know we got a ton of people watching online. I checked the numbers right before I came out. I was like, man, people were scared of that little tiny bit of snow. It's all right, I see you out there. Um, but there's a lot of people here, even on a snowy day like this, like our church is growing. But when, some, when, when people say that to me, like, wow, look at how many seats are filled. What I wanna say to them, but I don't, cause I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'll come off a little too intense. So I'll just say it here. What I wanna say to them is, if you think this is big, you ain't seen nothing yet. There are thousands of people in this city who need Jesus. And oh, by the way, there are thousands more moving in every single week. And it's incumbent upon you and I, like a big shiny building like we got, it'll attract people to church. I see it. A lot of y'all are here because you drove by and saw a nice new building. Nothing will ever beat the effectiveness of a personal invite to church. So start inviting your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends at school, your baristas, your waiters, your waitresses, your doctors, I don't care. Invite anybody and everybody because it's that important that people experience what Pete and Cher have experienced here in terms of community. All right, agreed? Agreed. All right, now, <clears throat> into the message. If you have a Bible, get to Philippians chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, no sweat. We're gonna be in the book of Philippians for the next like seven weeks or so. It's gonna take us all the way through Easter. Uh, we're gonna do this, this collection of messages that I've prepared for you called the Battle Ready Soul. All right, the Battle Ready Soul. 
And it is, it is birthed in this belief that there is a war going on. Now, you know there's a war going on. It's easy to see the war that's going on when you see what's happening with Russia and the Ukraine. It's easy to see those kinds of wars. And, and we continue to pray for peace and for protection, for safety. We pray for that whole mess to get sorted out soon. It's just crazy. It's awful to see what's happening. Wars like that are easy to spot. You see it in the news, you see it on social media, you feel the effects of it, the economy feels the effects of it, all of the above. But what, what, what I believe this series is supposed to help you see is that there is a war going on every single day that you may not see or feel. But it is absolutely real and is absolutely tangible. And that war, the thing that's being fought over is you. You are being fought over. The, the, the world, let, let's start with the world. The world is fighting over you. The world is fighting for your attention, for your money, for your time, for your heart, for your mind, for your life. The world is fighting over you, all right? There was, a, there was an article that came out a couple years ago that was super scary. It was before, um, how many of you saw the, the documentary, The Social Dilemma? It was like all about how our phones are for sure listening to us and tracking everything and everyone was terrified afterwards. Well, there was an article that came out before that um, by the, Nelson, uh, the, the, the Nielsen Norman Group that uh, that, uh, talked about how um, our, our economy today is really based on your attention. Okay, so I, I, I want to read this to you, and this should terrify you, okay? This should scare you to death. It says this, today we have access to information on a massive scale. Facts, literature, and art are available often for free to anyone with an internet connection. We're presented with a wealth of information, but we have the same amount of mental processing power as we've always had. The number of minutes has also stayed exactly the same in every day. Today, attention, not information, is the most valuable resource to us as individuals. Many services online are offered for free. See, in the attention economy, attention is not only a resource but a currency. Users pay for a service with their attention. Today, the dynamics of the attention economy, this is, so, this is terrifying, it incentivizes companies to draw users in to spend more and more time on apps and, and, and sites. Designers who create sites and apps understand that their products vie for the limited resource of your attention in a highly competitive market. That means, let me translate that to you. That means that every time you click on an app, every time you get on a website, there is a company full of people who've been working their butts off and spending their money and they feel like they just won the battle for you. They feel like they just beat out somebody else for your attention. They're fighting over you. You are the thing that is being fought over. Now, I know that sounds brutal, and I hate to say it, but it gets worse. Because while the world is battling for your attention, you need to understand that there is an enemy. And I don't know where you are with faith just yet, uh, but I, I know this, that even people who aren't sure what they believe about Jesus have felt evil in their lives. And I believe our culture is becoming more and more aware, even if you're not sure about Jesus yet, our culture is becoming more and more aware of the spiritual world and that there are, there are things that we can't see that are at work against us. See, the, the, the Bible would say that while the world is out to get your attention, the devil's fighting over your soul. That the devil actually wants to take you out. There is a force that is actively at work against you. And Jesus said it like this. He says this in John 10, 10. He says, the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything you've ever wanted in your life, everything you've ever hoped and dreamed of, let me tell you, the devil wants to steal it, kill it, and destroy it. 
Peter, one of the early, uh, early leaders of the church, would say it like this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's waiting on you to have any, any sign of weakness, and he's ready to pounce. The world is fighting for your attention. The devil is fighting for your soul. The question is, are you going to wake up and get your soul battle ready? And that's what I think God wants to give you. And, and, and I believe that even if you aren't sure what you believe about God yet, I think that if you'll apply this, the, these messages to your life, I think it's gonna prepare you for the battle that is happening in our world over your attention. But I think it's gonna, gonna prepare your soul for so much more, the battle ready soul. Now, the way we're gonna get there is we're gonna study through the book of Philippians. All right, and Philippians, Philippians is like a tattoo-worthy book. I mean, it is like, it's, it's like Tim Tebow verses. It is, it's big time. It's tattoo worthy. In fact, I, I told First Service this thinking it would shock them and it didn't. I have, a, um, I have like a, a weird twisted uh, dream uh, that I want to do at church some, at some point in my life. I don't know if it's legal. I'm still trying to figure that out. But what I want to do is I want to have a tattoo Sunday. See, y'all should not encourage me like that. This is the same thing 9 a.m. did. I thought for sure it was going to be like, who is this pastor? Oh, my gosh. But come on, could you imagine walking in and the lobby is like full of local tattoo artists and everyone's booking like 15, 30-minute appointments and all you hear is the sound of the needle all morning? Wouldn't that be dope? What I, what, what I found out first service was that everybody was super excited like you guys, but then there were a few people. I found this out via, via the grapevine. There were people who were like, oh, no. So, <laughs> I know it's crazy, probably not going to happen. But if we did it, if we did it, Philippians, I mean, Philippians got tattoo, like these verses are crazy. It's like, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a, that's a collarbone tattoo peeking out my t-shirt, man. That's like, that's a, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a big one, right? Like for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. These are like, woo, I'm ready to go lift weights. Like this is, this is big time stuff. And so the thing is with Philippians, you would expect when you read it, you would expect mountaintop verses like that to come from mountaintop moments, right? You'd expect like, you know, this past week when my, my wife and I were on a cruise together, I'm like the, the creativity's flowing, man. I got no responsibilities. I have no kids. I'm in the middle of the Caribbean. The ideas are flowing. You'd expect mountaintop verses to come from mountaintop moments. But we see in Philippians that Paul writes this inspirational, motivational, encouraging book, not from a mountaintop. He writes it from a prison. He writes it when life had gotten to its worst. He wrote it when his ministry that he'd given his life to build seemed to be coming to a screeching halt and he might be stuck. That's when, see, that's how you know he had a battle-ready soul was that he wrote stuff like this when he was in a prison. See, some of y'all feel like, I, I know this, I know this, I know this. Some of you feel like you're in a prison right now. You feel like you're in a financial prison. You can't stop thinking about how you're gonna get out of debt and you can't figure out how it's gonna work. You, you, you have no idea how you're going to pay the bills, right? Some of y'all are, are in a relational prison right now. You're in a marriage right now, and, and you, you're still together but barely hanging on, and you don't know how it's ever going to get better, and you don't even know if you can stick it out. You're, you're in a prison. Some of you are in a prison of your own mental health and your own isolation, and you cannot get out of it. And I, I believe that Paul wants to give you this letter 
of Philippians to help you develop a battle-ready soul in the midst of your prison so that you can thrive no matter what life throws at you. All right, Philippians chapter one, that's my big old long setup. I'm telling you, you take me away for two weeks. My intros are gonna get longer, everything's gonna get longer. So let's get into it, y'all ready? All right, Philippians one verse 12 is where we're starting, okay? He says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. (laughs) Oh, he's like, I'm in prison and that's a good thing. What? (laughs) Like those words don't even match. That that don't even make sense. It was like, you you ever get on Netflix and you're on the endless scroll trying to find something to watch. I feel like I spend more time like browsing Netflix than watching Netflix. But I'll see like some random show that's rated top five in the US today and I'll click, it looks so intriguing and enticing. But then I've realized it's like a foreign show with bad English dubbed over top of it. And you're like, oh man, this looked like it could have been cool, but I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. The, the words and the tone don't match the face. It's just, it's, it just doesn't work. Right, Paul's words are not matching the situation. Something's off here. He's like, I'm in prison, but, but th- th- no worries. It's actually a good thing, right? He's like, because I'm in prison, all these palace guards, all these prison guards, they know about Jesus now. They all have come to faith in Christ. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? And also, you know, because I'm in prison, all these other Christians are so much more bold in, in, in sharing their faith. You know, all, all these other Christians are like, man, if Paul can lead people to Christ in prison, I guess I can invite my neighbor to church today. And they've got this courage that's just like growing inside of them. It's amazing, right? He's like, this is great. It's actually a good thing that I'm in prison, which is crazy, but not quite as crazy as what he says next. Because what what, what Paul is dealing with, and he talks about it in the next verse, is this uh, dilemma that he's in. See, Paul was a preacher. Paul went around and started churches and told people about Jesus. But what's happening now on the outside as he sits lonely in this prison cell What's happening on the outside is that there are new preachers rising up. There are new pastors rising up, starting new churches, and they're not all doing it for the right reasons. In fact, he's hearing that a lot of them are not doing it to serve Christ. They're doing it because they want to become influencers. They're doing it because they want the clouts. Right? They, they want the fame. They, they want the followers. And so they're hearing about all these impure motives. And for someone like Paul, I mean, Paul's integrity was like rock solid. So for him to hear someone preaching out of false motives and he's stuck in a prison cell and can't do anything about it? You ever had something that is going wrong and it eats at you and eats at you and eats at you, and, but you can also do absolutely nothing about it? <laughs> and you just keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, and, and the more you think, you're like, oh, I wish I could do something, but I can't. That, Paul should be feeling that way because there's all these, in, in the early stages of Christianity, when the movement's fragile, there's all these preachers that are trying to build fame build their own platform. That, that should have scared him to death, but look at what he says, verse 15. He says, yeah, 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 hey, it's true. It's true. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. You know, the, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former, yeah, 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 they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But, but what does it matter, he says, <laughs> The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. 
And because of this, I rejoice. (laughs) Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This dude's annoying. (laughs) What? Like, you can't, nothing can stop him. He's all the way up, man. Like, you can't get him off of his cloud nine. He's ready. He's so positive. He's like, I don't care, man. It's all good. It's going to be great, right? It's going to be great. You see, we learned something here. We learned something. I'm going I'm to live in today and probably next week too. This is going to be a two-parter, all right? But you see, we see something in Paul that is so key for you to understand. If you want a battle-ready soul, you must understand that the battle-ready soul is optimistic. It's optimistic. The battle-ready soul always sees the good that's about to happen. The battle-ready soul never gives in to pessimism. It never gives in to a negative way of thinking. It it never gives in to the idea that the worst is yet to come. It's always, always positioned towards the best is yet to come. The battle-ready soul, if you're going to handle what the world is going to throw at you, what the devil is going to hit you with, you must fight for an optimistic soul. And I was going to do a little deal where I was like, hey, raise your hand if you're more optimistic. Crowd engagement, right? It's public speaking one-on-one. Raise your hand if you're more pessimistic. Wakes you up, gets you back in. But the truth is that's not even a fair question, right? Because we're all both. We're all both pessimistic and optimistic. It just depends on the day and the circumstance and the situation. Like my wife, Brittany, is one of the most optimistic people I've ever known. However, I have seen days when she is not. Like, for instance, when we cart our kids across the country to see her parents who live near the beach, God bless in-laws that live at the beach. If you're going to have in-laws, have them at the beach. But if we cart our kids across the country to see in-laws at the beach and it rains, demon Brittany comes out. It's like, we're stuck inside. We came all this way for what? You know? And I'm on the other side. I'm like, Girl, this is great. We get to, I'm, I'm, I'm like a kind of a hermit, you know, like I, I'm a homebody. I like to be, I'm like, we get to stay inside all day and read books and play games and watch movies and eat food. This is great. She's like, shut up. You know? I'm like, all right, I'm sorry to make you mad. But when she does, it is kind of sexy. <laughs> kind of like made you mad, but it's kind of worth it. We, can, we go back and forth, right? We go back and forth. Some days you're pessimistic, some days you're optimistic. It just depends on, on the day, it depends on the situation. And come on, come on, come on, come on. At the end of the day, who cares? Who cares? It's not that big of a deal, right? See, this is the lie. And I believe it's a lie. With all my heart, I believe it's a lie that our world has taught us, and I think it's a trick of the devil himself, that the, the, the devil in the world around us is trying so hard to convince us, and I believe has for the most part, convince us that optimism and pessimism are two equal forces. That they're equal, that they're the same. They're really just different ways of seeing the same thing. Come on, we even have a phrase that that reiterates this. If you're optimistic or pessimistic, you either see the glass half full or half empty. Now let me patronize you for a little bit. I hope you understand that illustration. That means that there's the same amount of water in the glass. That's the most patronizing phrase of all time. It's like our world has convinced us that an optimistic mindset and a pessimistic mindset are equal forces. They are just two different ways 
of seeing the same thing. But I believe God sent me here today and I believe he brought you here today and brought you in online to help you reject that garbage wholeheartedly. Optimism and pessimism are not equal forces. They do not have equal impacts on your life. In fact, pessimism, I believe, is one of the key things that the devil uses to steal, kill, and destroy your life. See, if you, if you see things pessimistically, if you're always looking and assuming the worst is going to happen and that it's never going to get any better, I'm telling you, your future is going to be destroyed. See, pessimism, you got to understand this, pessimism is quick to settle. Think about your marriage for a second. Those of you that are married in the room. 50% of marriages end in divorce. Now, you, you know, if, if you're identifying with this illustration, you're still married. So you made it this far. But there's a lot of issues you got. And likely you've swept some stuff under the rug over the years. And the rug is no longer flat in your relationship. It's pretty bumpy. But you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to mess up. And come on, you're, you're married still. 50% of the world can't even stay married. So, I mean... You, you should at least just settle for that, right? There's no way that you could go to counseling and they could get any better. There's no way you could ever get honest about how you really feel, about what's, what's really going on. There's no way you could confess your, 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 some of your dark past that your spouse doesn't know about. There's just no way. No, 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 no way. So in a pessimistic mindset, you settle for less than God's best for your life. See, pessimism is easy to convince. If you've, if you've always been bad at something, if you've never succeeded in a certain endeavor, a certain skill set, why would you ever in the future? So just settle in. Be convinced that the, that the life you've experienced is all that you could possibly experience. You see how that destroys your future? The world convinces you that this narrow view, this low view of life that you've experienced so far is all there is. Pessimism, it's, it's, it's quick to settle, easy to convince, it's ready to give up. I mean, come on, why would you... Why would you try to build new community? Why would you try to make new friendships when the friendships you had before didn't even make it through a pandemic? Why would you, why would you join a new small group? Come on, why would you join? You've been in a group before and you got burned. You had people that did you dirty. Why would you ever do, no, no, man, no, come on. Pessimism says just give up. You're gonna be lonely. That's just what life is. Pessimism is okay with status quo. I mean, come on, what's the most pessimistic phrase in the whole world? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's the biggest garbage phrase I've ever heard in my life. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If that were true, we'd still be riding around in horse and carriage. It's this belief that your life can't get any better, that it's okay. If it's not broke, don't mess with it. But pessimistically, you don't believe that there's anything good that could come that's more than what you've currently experienced. I'm telling you, pessimism will destroy your future. On the flip side, this is what I'm telling you, they are not equal forces. They do not have equal force and, and, and uh, equal influence in your life. Whereas pessimism will destroy your future, optimism will actually build your future. See, the optimistic mindset, when you get to this place where you're looking forward and believing that good things are ahead, believing that good things are to come, believing that the best days are ahead, optimism sees obstacles as opportunities. You didn't get that job you interviewed for? Ah, I know, it stinks, man, I'm sorry. However, an optimistic mindset would say, okay, well, why didn't I get that job? 
What didn't I have in experience, in skills? How, what, 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 what did I not do well in communicating myself? And now, oh, now, my obstacle has become an opportunity for me to grow into a better version of myself, more in line with how God created me to be. See, the optimist, you might not get the job, but you actually got something better. You got the opportunity to sharpen yourself. See, optimism sees stressing as stretching. When I moved here uh, two and a half years ago, to lead this church. I know I've talked about COVID a lot. I'm gonna keep talking about it because it was insane. Three months after I moved here, COVID hit and all of a sudden I had to lead a church through a pandemic. I had, I had only, I had three months experience of leading a church. I had zero months of leading a church through a pandemic. And it was the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. But you know on the other side what it has done? It has stretched my capacity. There are things now that, I, that we deal with on a weekly basis at church that if it had hit me in those first three months, I'd have been like, oh no. And now I'm like, ah, it's all good. That, see, for the optimist, stretching is, stressing is actually just stretching. When you're stressed at work, that means God is growing. It's your trigger signal to indicate that God is stretching you and increasing your capacity. Now, again, optimistically, if God's trying to increase your capacity, why would he do that if he only has bad things in your future? Why would he stretch you if he's not going to use you? For what purpose? Like, that would be silly. No, no, no. Optimistically, you see when you're stressed, oh, something good's about to happen. Oh, I'm about to grow. Oh, I'm about to, I'm about to expand. See, optimism sees loss as a lesson. When you lose that relationship that you, you thought he or she was the one, even though all your friends and your family were like, he is not the one. <laughs> but I know when that happens, it hurts. Like there's a, there's a deep pain there. It's loss. But the optimistic mindset can see loss as less and can see, oh my gosh, what can I learn from this? I see now that I lowered my standards because I didn't think that I could be loved for who I really am. I see now that, that, that my boundaries were so out of whack and I let this relationship get so sideways so quick just because I was afraid to have a hard conversation. I'm telling you, the loss is a gift to you. It is a lesson to prepare you for the future. And ultimately, the optimistic mindset always sees failure as fuel. When you have failed, the optimistic mindset says, I don't ever want to go back there. I don't want the pain of the addiction that I've been trying to kick, the, the pain of saying, man, I'm an, I'm an alcoholic and I committed to my friends and family that I was gonna stop drinking, but then I woke up hungover. And now the pain of knowing that some friends and family know that and I failed them. And, that failure should fuel you to do everything in your power to never get back there again. See, the optimistic mindset, optimism and pessimism, they are not equal forces. The devil wants more than anything to keep you in a place of pessimism. You are an easy target for him if you believe the worst about your future. Whereas God says, I got so much more for you, but you've got to believe it. You've got to step into it. You must have, in order to have a battle-ready soul, you've got to be optimistic. All right, now, all right, pessimistic people in the room are about to just vomit. I, I can feel, I can feel it. You're like, it's nauseating. And, and, and here's the deal. If you're, if you're in a more pessimistic state of mind right now or you, and you err towards a more pessimistic disposition, um, you are pessimistic. You have a negative outlook on your future for a reason, right? There's reason to back up. It's not like you just believe that for no reason. Like you, you got history. Like the reason you don't think Bob is ever going to be a good coworker is because you worked with Bob for five years and Bob's been late to every meeting and dropped every ball he's ever been handed. So why would Bob be any different? 
right? Sally's always been a gossip. So she's probably gossiping about me, right? Like you, you, you've got reason. That's why, that's why pessimists don't call themselves pessimists. They call themselves realists. <laughs> ah, because they have seen what has really happened, right? So I get it. I get it. You're pessimistic because you got reason. I just think that what Paul would say to you, the author of Philippians sitting in the middle of a jail cell when everything's gone wrong, he would say, you might have reason to be pessimistic, but I got more reason to be optimistic. I got more reasons to believe the best. I want to show you what I mean. All right. I, need, I need three people and I, want, uh, I need three dudes. Um, it's not a, I'm not trying to leave out the ladies, but you're going to understand why I have three dudes. I need three burly dudes. <laughs> Imagine I asked for a burly woman. <laughs> I need three burly women on stage. All right. One. I need two. Come on. Yeah. And then uh, you're coming up on stage. I need three. Uh, one, one, more, one, one more. One more. Oh, we got three. Okay. Cool. Come on. Come on. Everybody give me a hand. Give me a Yes. All right. I want you right here. I want you right here. And perfect. Right there. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Now, I'm not going to make you say anything. These, y'all are like, man, Petey is short. <laughs> I'm not going to make you say anything or do anything, nothing like that. All right. Make it hold something. So Paul, uh, the, the Apostle Paul who wrote Philippians, Paul uh, and very similarly many Christians over you know, the past 2,000 years, we hold some very key beliefs, all right, some key theological doctrines, but they're not, that sounds fancy, they're pretty basic, all right, but these beliefs, they, they, they matter, and so I, I, I want to show you uh, some of this. So like one of the things that Paul believed when he was sitting in the middle of the jail cell is that God is good, all right, God is good, so I want you to hold this one, perfect, right there, um, these signs are almost as tall as me, <clears throat> God is good, okay, so Paul would say things like in Ephesians 2, he would write that uh, God can point to his life as an example of the wealth of his kindness and grace towards humanity. That God is so rich in kindness and love for you. you know, John would write it like this. He would say that God is love. That all things good and true and right and beautiful in this world originate from God. That God at his core, he is good. He has good things in store for you. He's, he's a loving father to you. Okay, God is good. Second thing <clears throat> that I'm going to point out to you that, that he would believe in the middle of this prison cell was that God is in control, all right, God's in control. Uh, the fancy theological word for this is God's sovereignty, right? Um, that God, no matter what happens, he has a plan and he can work it all out. Like in Romans chapter eight, Paul would write that God can work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So no matter what happens in your life, God has the ability to work it out for your good. He's, he's actually in control. Nothing happens outside of his knowledge or outside of his expertise, fully in control. Okay, now the third one is that God is here, okay, the presence of God. Uh, the, the fancy theological term for this is his omnipresence, um, that God is everywhere. You know, Paul would say uh, there's no height and no depth, there's, no, there's nowhere I could possibly go to, to escape the love of God, that he's everywhere, that even if you don't believe in him yet, he's actually right beside you, he's with you. That you, you can't escape him. He is here. He is present. No matter what you're going through, he's with you. All right? Three pretty basic beliefs. God's good, God's in control, and God's here. Now, these were the beliefs that were supposed to prevent Paul and supposed to prevent you from ever turning to a pessimistic mindset. Okay? So, for instance, let's, let's play this out. I see there's like a lot of, uh, there's some students in the room. They're about to hit their like junior, senior year, heading to college. There's some people there about to make some big decisions. That's a big deal, right? Um, let, let's, let's talk through that for a second. If you're a student and you're about to go to college, 
That's a scary time, right? It's terrifying. Um, it's exciting and it's terrifying. Uh, I did student ministry for many years and we would send a graduating class of seniors off and sure enough, every November or so, I'd get about 50% of them emailing me saying, I'm lonely, I haven't found a good church yet, I'm not connected to a small group, I miss home, this is hard. And so like that, that very well could happen to you. So if that's you and you go to college and you've left everything you know, thinking it was gonna be awesome, but you find yourself sitting in your, in, in, in your dorm room dealing with depression and loneliness and anxiety and missing home, and you're tempted to turn to a pessimistic mindset, hold up, wait a minute, God's good. So the goodness of God has, is still just as true now as it was before, and that he's a loving father, and, 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 and God knows what you need, and, and he knows how he's going to bring it to you. And, and man, if you look back on your life, God's always cared for you. He's never let you down. Even when you worried about it, man, he was always there for you. His goodness has not changed at all, so you can't go that way. Okay, God's in control. Oh, man, that means God knew I was going to pick this college. God knew I was going to end up alone in this dorm room. God knew I wasn't going to find a good church in my first few months. God knew I wasn't going to get off my lazy butt and go find a church to just serve and plug myself in. He knew, he knew, he knew. He's in control. He's also in control of the friends that he can send you going forward. He knows what's going to happen, right? So can't go that way. And God's here. Oh, man, if I'm lonely in my dorm, I'm actually not lonely in my dorm. I might not have any friends like I used to have. The relationships might have changed, but my God has not changed and he is right here with me. In the midst of this loneliness, I can actually grow in my relationship with God, grow in my connection with him so that no matter where I go in this world, I'll never be lonely again. See, with these as your beliefs, you, you can't go back to pessimism. You can't go back to a negative way of thinking. Now, go on the other side, all right? If you're a parent of a student that's about to go to college and you're about to face empty nest. I've been in ministry for 15 years and we don't talk about the empty nest enough. I've seen it wreck so many marriages. You invest everything that you've got. You've got, you invest everything into raising these kids together and then all of a sudden they're gone and you realize that you haven't even looked at each other in 18 years. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a jarring event and, and not only that, I mean, gosh, your kids are gone and now all of a sudden you've got all this time on your hands you got, I mean, there's so much silence. You haven't had silence in 18 years, but it's maddening, right? You're like, how do I handle this? And you're so lonely and you're so scared and you're so worried for your kids. And so you're so tempted to turn to a pessimistic mindset, but hold up, God's good. God is good. He is a good father. God is actually your kid's father more than you are their father. Those kids actually belong to him before they belong to you. They were just on loan to you. And so because he's good, you can trust that he's watching out for him. When, when, when you're not around, he's around and he's good. He loves him, he loves him. And then uh, you can't go here either, right? Because just because you don't know what's going on at college, just because you don't know what they're getting, to, getting into, God knows and God's fully in control. God knows exactly what's going on. It's all good. You can rest assured that he is their father. He is in control. And, and you might be lonely. You might be missing your kids so much and your relationship with your spouse, it, it, it might feel like you're meeting a brand new person but God is with you. He's here. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Like with these as your, as your theological foundation, you can't turn to pessimism. These are meant to keep you from ever turning back to a negative outlook on the future. It's like a UFC cage, all right? Uh, 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 come, come together for me. You, you scoot over this way, you stay right where you are, and then you come over this way for me, just a little bit, okay. Um, did anybody watch the UFC fights last night? Anybody stream them? Okay, I got like, okay, good. My 9 a.m. service was like, 
no UFC, but yes, tattoos. It was weird. It's like normally those two crowds go hand in hand. <laughs> um, like, like UFC fights, you know, I always say th those guys are like heroes in my mind because I'm telling you, the first time I get punched, I'm running. <laughs> but the thing that keeps, like the first time I get roundhouse kicked to the head, I'm out. But the thing that keeps you from running in the UFC is the cage, right? You get punched, you get smacked, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I can't go here. Oh no, I'm still in the fight. You see, and that's what these beliefs are meant to do. Like when you are dealing with depression and you're feeling suicidal and you're tempted to turn back, this is supposed to be the thing that keeps you in. No, 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 God is good. Nope. Yeah, he knew. God is, that's better. He, this guy knew, man, he's ready. That's it. It's supposed to be the, the cage that keeps you in the fights. When you look back and say, man, life is hitting me in so many ways. I have no idea what to do with it. Oh man, I wanna quit, but God is good. I wanna quit, but God is in control and I wanna quit, but man, it's here, I can't quit. I can't turn back to pessimism. God in his goodness, God in his sovereignty, God in his omnipresence, those truths about him prevent me from doing so. Let's give it up for our volunteers. Give it up, you guys can I just put the signs over here. Just set them right here. Thanks guys. <laughs> they had no idea I was about to run into them. <laughs> Only one was prepared. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I wish I was a running back. No. Again, man, when I get hit, I run. It's like, God's good. God's in control and God is here. Now, <clears throat> next week, I told you this is a two-parter. Next week, I want to show you how those beliefs, the, the, the nature and character of God, who he is, was meant to not just keep you from pessimism, not just prevent you from pessimism, but was actually meant to propel you into optimism, okay? And I, I actually wanna show you next week a very practical thing you can do. Anytime you're tempted to go down the, 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 the wormhole of negative thoughts, a very practical thing you, that, that you can do every single day to bring yourself back up and refocus yourself on an optimistic truth about God, okay? That's next week. This week though, I know some of you, when, I, when, when, when those burly dudes were holding those signs up, I know what some of you are thinking. I know that some of you are like, how do you know that God is good? How do you, I mean, have you seen suffering in the world? God is good? How do you know God's in control? Because man, it feels like everything's out of control. And like, how do you know that God is here? Because man, I just feel so, so lonely. Like, how do you know? And if you're wondering that, if you're skeptical of that, you just need to understand what I and many people in this room and what Christians for 2000 years have discovered is that the way that, you, the way that you can have confidence in those truths is, is to realize that those truths are illustrated to us and proven to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That who he is perfectly embodied and showed the goodness, the sovereignty, and the omnipresence, the presence of God. See, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. If you want to hold these truths deep down that, that will prevent you from a pessimistic mindset, you must Look to Jesus. That's why the author of Hebrews says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the one who starts faith and the one who continues faith is Jesus. If you want to know how you can have those kinds of beliefs and they're not just pie in the sky, hope, lottery ticket wishes, you got to look to Jesus because it was Jesus on the cross that stretched his arms out and died, though he was innocent, he died. He died for you before you even believed in him. 
He died for you when you didn't even deserve it, when you were his enemy, is what Paul would write in Romans. When you were his enemy, he died for you. That's the goodness of God on display in your life. When, when, he, when he stretched his arms out, he proved that he is in control, that not even death could hold him. See, the, the enemy thought, the devil thought that if he could kill Jesus, it was over. But Jesus proved through his death and through his resurrection on the cross that he is actually in control, that he is the one who holds the keys to life and death. And here, oh my gosh, when Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the grave, and then resurrected from the dead, he, he proved to the world that time, he, he exists out of time, he exists outside of space, he can be anywhere and everywhere. And then he sends us his spirit to live with, to walk with, that every single one of us have him with us right here, right now. When you start following Jesus, he is with you nonstop, he is here. You gotta, consider, you gotta fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and, and maybe, just maybe, that's the confession and the commitment that we need to make together. Um, I know that people in this room, whether you're new to faith, not sure about faith, or you've been following Jesus for a long time, your eyes can be taken off of Jesus and you can go back to a pessimistic mindset pretty quick. And so maybe we just need to confess that to God and commit to him, to looking to him, to fixing our eyes on him and to letting who he is, letting who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, letting that shift the atmosphere, shift the perspective of our lives. And so I wanna give you the chance to make that decision. Would you stand with me today? With every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, this is a private decision between you and God. And this is a, no matter if you're first time here or been here since the church started, we're all in the same boat here. And so if you know that you have, You've been living with a pessimistic mindset, believing the worst about the future, and you want to confess that to God. But not only that, you want to commit to fixing your eyes on Jesus and letting the truth of who he is change your perspective. If that's the, the confession and the commitment you want to make today before God, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. It's beautiful. Hands up all over the room. It's amazing. So good, so good. Let's pray that together. Let's ask Jesus to do that. Jesus, we love you. We fix our eyes on you, Father. The, the love that you have shown us through dying on the cross, the life that you have given us, God, we fix our eyes on you. And God, we're asking you right now to change our perspective, to shift the atmosphere of our lives so that we're not dragged down by the world and dragged down by the devil, but that we're, we're able to see how good you are and how good your future is for us. God, whether we got one year left, a hundred years left on this earth, God, however long we got in front of us, we know you've got good things in front of us and we want that perspective deep in our bones. We want it in our heart, we want it in our mind so that we can be ready for whatever the world's gonna throw at us, God. But we need you to do that inside of us. We fix our eyes on you. We fix our eyes on you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.